Welcome to God's Messenger Lighthouse Podcast. This is your host, Brother Scott Messenger, bringing you Chapter 13 from God's Smuggler, Brother Andrew with John and Elizabeth Sherrill. Chapter 13, To the Rim of the Inner Circle. Back in West Berlin, I hurried from camp to camp, looking for Corey, when I finally found her conducting lice inspections on the heads of a row of five- and six-year-olds, I was appalled at the change that had come over her in less than three weeks. She had lost weight. Her skin had a strange yellowish pallor, and there were circles under her eyes. I accused myself all over again for having brought her here, there, and above all for having left her alone. One of the things I had wanted to try from Berlin was to take a precious cargo of Bibles into Yugoslavia to the church in Belgrade, among others, that had only seven among its whole membership. I knew from my previous experience that their consulate in Berlin was the place to apply for the visa rather than the hog. Now, as I looked at my young wife's lined face and haunted eyes, I realized that a trip to Yugoslavia would serve a double purpose. What better place to forget the horrors of the camps than that beautiful uh, land, loveliest I had seen. And so I took both our passports to the Yugoslav consulate and spent the rest of the day buying Bibles. Corey gave me an argument again. There was so much to do in the camps. She could do nothing in Yugoslavia. The same objections as before, but this time I overruled her on the grounds of her own health, and we set out for our first time together behind the iron curtain. It hadn't been for Corey, if it hadn't been for Corey's illness, which seemed to get worse instead of better, that first week of the trip would have been perfect. This time the border guard scarcely glanced at our luggage. They spotted us for newlyweds and suggested ocean resorts to visit and scenic routes to take. For future smuggling operations, I filed away this new bit of knowledge. A man and woman make a natural traveling team and arouse far less suspicion than a man traveling alone. Jamil and Nicola greeted us with tears of joy in their eyes. When we brought the new Bibles out in church after church, the congregations could scarcely believe their eyes. And then everyone had to meet Corey. The women kissed her. The men thumped me on the back. For six days, things couldn't have gone better. With Nicola interpreting me for me again, in spite of the fine and warning he had incurred for his earlier help, I shared with Yugoslavian churches the vision that had come to me in East Germany, a vision of Iron Curtain churches not in retreat but on the advance. And then, on the evening of the seventh day, while we were eating dinner in the house of friends in a town near Sao the police came. It happened so suddenly that for a moment I didn't realize for whom they had come. We were seated around the kitchen table eating rice and lamb. 
all except Corey, who didn't feel well and had gone to lie down when there was a knock on the door, and in walked two gray uniformed police. You come with us, they said to me. Come? Where? Do not talk. Do not finish your meal. Just come. I looked at my friends, who were sitting, forks raised, mouths open in fear. Corey appeared in the doorway, pale and disheveled. She is with you? Yes, her too. It was soon apparent that the police knew all about my former trip to Yugoslavia. They were courteous enough, but they informed us that we would have to leave the country immediately. My visa had been canceled. There was no redress. Would I please hand over my passport then and there? Reluctantly, because I did not want a bad stamp in my passport that other consulates would question, I turned over my papers. The officers looked at them carefully, cross-checked them with their own orders, and then took out an enormous red stamp, which they inked well and slammed down across the face of my visa. I was persona non grata in Yugoslavia. Already at a low ebb physically, Corey was sh shaken by the arrest. Andy, I was scared stiff, she kept saying as we drove across Austria toward Germany, and those men were being nice about it. We intended to stop in Berlin only long enough to pick up two passengers, refugees, who, whom, were, whom we were sponsoring in Holland. My chief thought was to get Corey home and to a doctor. Something was wrong, something more than just fatigue and strain. More and more frequently, I had to stop the car and let her get out to stretch full length on the grass until the retching sickness passed. But when we reached Berlin, there was a surprise waiting for us. Seeing that the Yugoslav consulate there was more lenient than the one in Holland, I had made the rounds of the Berlin offices of every other country I wanted to visit. And now, on our return, I found not one, but two letters waiting at the hostel. Both Bulgaria and Romania, or Romania had considered my application and were pleased to tell me that I had only to appear at their Berlin headquarters to have my travel documents validated. Bulgaria and Romania, according to everything, two of the countries were where persecuted persecution of the church was most intense. At last, the inner circle, surely God's hand was on the door, ready to throw it wide. And just as surely, Corey needed her own home and her own bed. In addition, there was the matter of the incriminating stamp in my passport. Certainly the other governments would want to know why I had been expelled from Yugoslavia. So instead of Going to the consulates, we went home to Witte. Corey went to bed almost at once, and I called the doctor. He was with her for a long time while I sat miserably on the ladder outside. At last he emerged, lowering himself gingerly, rung by rung. Your wife is fine, he told me when he had reached solid ground. I've given her some pills for the nausea. And she should come in 
and to see me next month. But what's the matter with her? I asked anxiously. Matter? At last the man perceived that I did not understand. In a formal little gesture he swept his hat from his head and held out his hand. Congratulations! You're going to be a father! But for heaven's sake, he added, putting his hat back on his head, stop dragging that poor girl all over Europe and let her get some rest. And another thing, he said, pausing at the little bridge, get rid of those stacks of clothing up there. She's going to be a mother, not a mountain climber. It was November when we returned from Berlin in Yugoslavia, and the baby was due in June. By January, Corey was feeling so well that I began to think seriously again about that trip into the inner circle. By myself, of course, under the circumstances, leaving Corey under the watchful eye of Jitji, allowing three or four weeks in which of the two countries I would be back in plenty of time for the baby's birth. But there was still that matter of the passport. What could I do about the bad page? Tear it out? That was impossible, since all the pages were numbered. Throw out the whole thing, pretend I had lost it, and file a claim for a new one? But that was not the royal way. The king's servants didn't have to stoop. I went to the hog, to the office of passport control, and showed the reviewing officer my problem. He was very understanding. I sympathize with you, he said, but there's nothing we can do. You see, I said, I'm a missionary. I want to go to these countries to contact the Christians there. He considered this for a moment. Then he shook his head. We can't even give you hints about how to get a new passport quickly, such as, for instance, doing a lot of travel to nearby countries and always insisting that they stamp your papers so that your passport will fill up sooner. We couldn't even give you hints like that. Don't you see? I'm very sorry. Within a few weeks, I had, I had a new passport. Corey was reluctant to let me go. She still had not got over the shock of our arrest in Yugoslavia, but when the shipment of Bulgarian and Roma Romanian Bibles arrived from the British and Foreign Bible Society in London, she helped me stow them away in the car herself. A bargain's a bargain, she said. After all, I signed on as the wife of a missionary. When the actual day of departure came, neither of us was feeling very brave. We were packing the leftover space in the Volkswagen with clothes for the camps in Austria I would visit on the way. We had moved the clothing depot out of our room, per doctor's orders, and into the tiny hallway of the main house, where it was making life miserable for everyone. Bulgarian Romania, Corey said softly, those aren't Yugoslavia. You get arrested in those countries, and I might never see you again. We want you back, Andrew, your baby and I. And of course I tried to reassure her, but I was feeling far from cheery myself. I climbed into the heavily loaded car and started the engine. You've got your money? Corey asked. I felt my wallet. For once I was going with more than enough. 
I couldn't understand why so many gifts had come from readers of Crotch von Umhog lately. It cost me very little to travel, sleeping in, in the tent wherever I could, fixing my own meals. I had tried to leave the extra amount with Corey, but as though with a strange foreknowledge, she had insisted that I take it with me. Yes, the money was all safe, and so with a last kiss I was off. It bothered me a little as I headed for the Austrian camp toward Yugoslavia that I was having to go back into a country from which I had so recently been expelled, but there was absolutely no other practical route to Bulgaria. The other, the only other way to go would be a long and costly trip the length of Italy by boat to Greece, and then the long drive up through Greek Macedonia. As I had anticipated, there had been no trouble getting a new visa. Yugoslavian paperwork was notoriously inefficient, and the fact that I was persona non grata had not yet been forwarded to the Western Consulates. The only place where there might be trouble, I thought, was at the border itself. Heart pounding, I pulled up to the frontier, but the guard only glanced at my passport. We chatted a while about road conditions, and within twenty minutes I was across. By my calculations, I had now four days of grace in Yugoslavia before the information about my arrival at the border was checked against the unwanted person's file in Belgrade. I stopped for a brief visit with Jamal, and then pressed on south and east, fully intending to cross the border into Bulgaria on the morning of the fifth day. But as always in Yugoslavia, there was so much to do. Jamal had supplied me with enough names and churches along my route to help keep me busy for a month. There hadn't been a whisper of trouble from the authorities. I decided to stretch my luck by 24 hours. On the fifth evening, I checked into a hotel after midnight, turned in my, papers, my passport at the desk, and went up to my room. I had slept for perhaps five hours when there was a, an abrupt rap at the, on the door. I opened it and found two men in ordinary business suits standing in the hall. Dress and follow us, they said in German, holding the door open. Do not bring anything with you. They never took their eyes from me as I struggled into pants and a shirt. We walked through the lobby, empty at that hour except for a woman scrubbing the steps. Outside, we walked a few hundred yards to a large stone building. I was shepherded down a marble corridor, echoing in its emptiness and into an office. The man behind the desk had my passport in his hand. Why are you here? he demanded. Why are you back in Yugoslavia? He did not wait for me to answer, but went on, voice rising as he spoke. How did you get this passport changed? Is that this what Holland does? Makes it easy for conspirators and lawbreakers? He reached into his desk, and I saw with dismay that he had taken out the enormous stamp with the red ink. He slammed it down on the Yugoslav visa three times before he seemed satisfied. 
You will leave the country within 24 hours, he said. You will have no further contacts with any person in Yugoslavia. We will telephone the border guard in Tristy when to expect you. Tristy? Surely he wouldn't insist upon that. Tristy was in the northwest corner of the country, right back where I had come from. While he, here we were 50 miles from the Bulgarian frontier. But I'm on my way to Bulgaria, I pleaded. Couldn't I leave the country that way? It's so much closer. But he was adamant. Tristy, he had said, and Tristy, it had to be, and as quickly as possible. And so with a sinking heart, I headed back north to Tristy, and the long roundabout trip through Italy and Greece, 1,500 miles out of my way, when I had been almost in sight of my goal. A depression such as I had never known before settled over me as I inched my way down the boot of Italy. The roads were maddening, an endless succession of towns strung one after another down the coast, trucks, bicycles, horse-drawn carts. I seldom got to got the Volkswagen out of second gear. March 31st came, Corey's birthday. I sent her a telegram, but instead of cheering me up, it only served to remind me how far away she was. Her first birthday since we'd been married, and there I was, not even out of Italy yet, farther away from my goal than ever, and getting farther from Corey every minute. Suppose something happened. Suppose there was trouble with the police in Bulgaria, too. Suppose I didn't get back for the birth of the baby. At least I understood now the reason for the extra money. I'd be lucky to make it there and back by this route, even with all I had. To make matters worse, there was that suspicion-arousing stamp on the Yugoslavia page again. And then... Just when I thought I'd reached my lowest point, my back began to act up. For three or four years, I'd been having trouble on and off with a slipped disc. It seemed to bother me most when I'd been driving long distances. About halfway through Italy, the trouble began again, worse than I'd ever known it. By the time I reached Brindisi, where the boat left for Greece, I was literally bent double, walking with a kind of strange crouching gaunt on the balls of my feet. There was no time to stop and get treatment. I just had to let people stare. When I took the car off the boat in Greece, I was no better. After a couple of days on the Greek roads, I was literally crying aloud with the pain. If the Italian roads had been Choked with traffic, the Greek ones were all rocks and chuck holes. I could not read the signs with their strange Greek characters, and often, after twenty spine-jarring uh, miles, would discover I had made a wrong turn and have to give up all that hard-worn, hard-won distance, and all the while that insidious depression was working its poison in me. Well, Andrew, the inner whispering would begin. You got away with it this that time. They were easy on you. 
sent you out of the country. You could have gone to jail for how many years, Andrew? Five? Ten? You'll find out in Bulgaria. They lock people up there. Sometimes they never get out. Not even a letter. Corey will never know. And so it went, hour after hour, day after day, until every nerve was on edge. And then came the final blow. At the Greek town of Syria, I discovered that the border crossing toward which I had been heading all this time was open to diplomats only. For ordinary travels, travelers, there was no entry at all into Bulgaria from Greece. The only way was through Turkey, many miles and many days farther on. The morning after this discovery, I was grinding and bumping along a stony track toward what seemed a horizon of endless frustrations, when up ahead I saw a small blue sign. The top lettering was in Greek, but below it, in Latin characters, I read the single word, Philippi. I stopped the car with a jerk. Philippi? The Philippi in the Bible? The town where Paul and Silas had been in prison? Where God had sent the earthquake to open the door? Of course! This was the very place. I got out of the car and stared through a tall link fence at a field of ruins. There were the old streets. There was what was left of a temple, a row of houses, only the walls standing now. Was Lydia's house, where Paul had stayed, one of these? There was a gate in the fence, but it was locked and there was no one around. An immense silence brooded over the scene. The modern town of Philippi was two miles away to the north and west. Here there was not a sound, only Paul shouting over the centuries, Christian, where is your faith? Paul had been in prison in this place, just as I was in prison too, a prison of pain and discouragement. Paul and Silas had been doing the same thing I was doing, preaching the gospel where it was not allowed. God had performed a miracle to get his men out of prison then, and it in that instant I knew that he was even now performing another one to get me out of mine. The bonds of depression that had wrapped themselves around me snapped as had the chains on Paul's wrists. The spirit of heaviness lifted, and as it did, I realized with a start that I was standing erect, back tall, head high. Joy welled up in me, physical joy as well as mental. I literally ran back to the car, stopping every now and then to jump several inches off the ground. I started the engine, shoved the car into first, and with a roar set off once more, for my appointment with the unknown believers of the inner circle. Next time, chapter 14, Abraham the Giant Killer.